0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. But uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 again this morning. I do want to take just a moment to thank everybody again for, for such a wonderful retreat, and and uh, the way everybody served and, and continues to serve is, is just a joy, and it proves uh, our growing maturity uh, to have so many servants. I'm thankful for all the teachers, um, you know, Alex and Uriah and Miles, and I also want to thank David for preaching for me last week when I was out of town, so thank you, brother. That, that means a lot, um, and I'm sure that that was a, a blessing to everyone. So, just by way of review, two weeks ago we began chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And there we discovered that Paul provided the church in Corinth with a rebuke and a challenge. A rebuke and a challenge. After eight years of being a church, the church in Corinth had many, many resources at their disposal. And for that time we remember that they were a fairly large church church. Uh, for those early years of the church, right? That they had, they had a, a growing community of believers gathered together and they had many, many different leaders available to them pouring into their life. And yet all of those resources somehow amounted to a lot of immaturity. A lot of immaturity in the church, a lot of bad decision making, a lot of sin, a, r- a lot of wrong focus, And so what that proves to us is that despite the fact that we have so many resources as a church, we still have the ability as individuals to be weak and immature. We can refuse the pouring into us. We can refuse to obey. We can refuse to acknowledge authorities in our life. And we can choose to be immature despite the fact that we have so many mature people giving us life giving us the word, teaching us, despite the fact that we have discipleship, despite the fact that we have LFBI, despite the fact that we have so many Bible study leaders and so many men that are proficient in God's word, teaching us and pouring into us women in this ministry who are like mothers to us. And yet we can still choose immaturity. We can still choose sin. We, can, we, can, we literally have the ability to fall asleep in the light. And that's who we are. And so we've got to take that seriously. He says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And so what Paul's saying is that dis- despite the fact that I would love to give you the meat of God's word, despite the fact that I would love to challenge you and to provoke you to deeper things, and the fact that I would love to give away more ministry and, and push you and motivate you uh, to go further in your faith, you've chosen weakness, You've chosen carnality. And I think we as a ministry have to take that seriously. A couple weeks ago, a lot of you made decisions uh, you know, regarding your faith. You know? and, 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 I, and I hope to see more and more people taking uh, what's been invested in them, taking that seriously. And so I, uh, I, I, you know, we're, we're talking about this idea, this concept of the dynamics of our Christian faith. And so all of the sermons in chapter 3 will have the word dynamic in it. That's just me being clever. But the truth is what we're getting here is we're getting a pattern for how to follow Christ. A pattern for how to be the church. A pattern and the motivation and the steps for how to move forward in the framework that God's given us. And so last week we talked about this idea of spiritual growth. And this week we're going to talk about spiritual investment. Spiritual investment. What good would all that growth be if it didn't result in tangible ministry and spiritual action? Right? So all the growing, we could waste that too. You know, we 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 could grow in our faith and we could learn God's word and we could get more involved and we could be busy. But if it doesn't result in true spiritual investment, it's just a waste of time. There's Christians all over our world that are playing at Christianity. Right? And they're gaining knowledge. But it goes wasted because people don't understand the mission and they don't understand the call on their life. And so today we're going to talk about the dynamics of spiritual investment. And the question that we're going to ask ourselves, the prevailing question of today's sermon is going to be, where do I fit in the work of the ministry? Where do I as an individual fit in the work of God's ministry? Let's pray and then we'll get into it. We need, we need the Lord to meet with us because we are, we are a tired tired people. Okay? One of the things I was thinking about is I bet there's some of you haven't been this full since Thanksgiving. <laughs> there's some there's some guys in this ministry it's 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 been a year since they've gotten three full meals in a day. <laughs> so um, that's a that's a blessing. Is the the food was good too, I know. Amen. Good, that's some good food. All right, let's pray. The Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we know that we're rich. We're rich, and uh, you know, your word actually um, in Revelation chapter three, we're reminded that despite how rich we are, we're we're actually, you know, we don't see our own nakedness. You know, we don't see our own immaturity. We don't see that we're we call ourselves Christian and. We we you know we go to church, and we go to retreats, and uh, we do things that look look Christian. And um, all the while, we're denying the power of who you are and what you want to make of our lives. We've emphasized the wrong things, and so a lot of times we tell ourselves that we're growing. A lot of times we tell ourselves that we're making an investment, but are we really, Lord? Would you please show us the areas of lack in our life, and would you show us what it really means to be fit to your ministry, what you always intended for Christians to do and be? Would you show us that today? Would you give us clarity, and would you allow us to make decisions that are faith-based, faith-oriented, that we might follow you with everything we have? So teach us this morning from your word, Lord. We pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. All right. Chapter Three. We're going to start in verse three, just to get a little bit more context. It says, "For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men?" Remember we talked about those are the things that follow people who are carnal. Verse four: "For while one saith, "I am of Paul, and another, "I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, and neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. And ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So let's start today by talking about who am I, okay? Who am I? Who am I as a person? Well, I know I'm I'm Brandon, and you know me as your pastor, right? But who am I? And so Paul begins by asking this weird rhetorical question. He says, who then is Apollos, or who who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? Who is Paul? To the church in Corinth, who is Paul? Well, the church in Corinth was convinced that they knew him, didn't they? They were convinced that they knew who Paul was. He was the apostle chosen by God to go to the Gentile nations and preach the gospel. It was his calling that led him to the city of Corinth eight years earlier to preach. He was respected by some in the church and misunderstood by others. They thought they knew him. They thought they were aware of who Paul was. They'd been familiar with him. They'd rubbed elbows with him. They'd done life together. They had assessed who they thought he was, and they thought they knew who he was. And who is Apollos? Well, the church knew Apollos. At least they thought they did. He was that gifted, bold, and zealous young man that went about Ephesus preaching an incomplete gospel. That is until he met Paul's friends, Aquila and Priscilla. You remember the story from Acts, don't you? You know, he was going around and he was preaching the gospel of John's baptism, right? He's he's in Ephesus and he's preaching and he's zealous. He's going in the temple. And when Aquila and Priscilla find him, they realize that this man is primed for salvation. And they pull him aside and they teach him a more perfect way. And he comes to know Christ as his Savior. The Messiah has come and he's set free from that bondage. And he takes his salvation and he makes use of it. And he goes and he teaches. He uses his gifting. He was a leader in the church of Corinth. He was a respected man. And these are the two men. It's Paul and Apollos. They thought they knew them. But Paul asked them, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Now, before he answers this question, we have to remember the people in Corinth were forming factions based around personalities. Remember that? So some of the people were saying to themselves, well, Paul, because he delivered the gospel to us, he means so much to us. I knew him in those early days. I'm a follower of Paul. Paul's my man, and I'm going to listen to him, and he's the guy that I'm going to follow after. And then there was others that, 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 that saw Apollos as their father in the faith, that he invested in them, he took time with them, he taught them. And they said to themselves, well, I am of Apollos. Now remember, that was a carryover from the Greek culture that surrounded them. That was a carryover from the lost world, all of the philosophers that taught in Corinth and in Greek society. They saw how people followed after the gurus and the masters of their time, and they brought those concepts into the church, and they allowed it to taint the church and ultimately cause division. And so Paul says, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 11 says, there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I of Cephas and I of Christ. People prided themselves on which camp or tribe they associated with. So Paul, frustrated by their pettiness and immaturity, cuts through the matter and asks a very valid question. Do you even know who Paul is? Do you even know me? Do you even know Apollos? Do you have any idea what our true identity is? What defines our personage? Listen to his answer. Verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye, ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? So Paul is working to change the dynamic of their perspective. What he's saying to them is we are nothing but ministers. We are nothing but, but, but just conduits, just people by, by whom God used to come to you, to either share the gospel or to invest time and energy. We are just servants of the living God. And what right does any servant of God have to receive the boasting of men? Who among us has the right to pat themselves on the back? I am not who you think I am. I am but a minister of God. You know, it's, it's, it's ab- as absurd as thanking your fork for a wonderful, wonderful meal, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this meal is so delicious, right? Eva makes a meal for me, right, which is usually how it goes. I have to say I don't cook a whole lot. Eva is the chef. Yeah, we know that. I'll acknowledge that. <laughs> I make a mean grilled cheese sandwich. Mm-hmm. I like to grill out. That's, that's the extent. I make good eggs. You can mess up eggs. I make good eggs. Okay. But Eve is the chef. But there's not a one of us that sits down to a meal and thanks our fork for the wonderful meal. We know where the meal came from. There's not a one of us that thanks our television set for the fact that we get, we get a miniseries called Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> On May 25th, if anyone else is stoked about that, right? We don't say, oh, thank you, television set, for providing us with Seinfeld all the seasons on Netflix. Now, someone else is responsible for that. And the same way, we are nothing more than instruments of God. We are nothing more than His tools, And so it makes no sense for any of us to receive any of the boasting, any of the praise. It makes no sense for any of us to divide over factions or say, I am of such and such, or I am of such and such. It makes absolutely no sense. Here's our key point. There is no boast or boasting in a mature minister. And I need you to know that. And here's the reason why you need to know that, is because we have lots of growing ministers And in our flesh, we love to receive men's praise. We love it. I mean, we're used to it in the world. We're used to it in our jobs. And someone tells us that we've done a good job. It means a lot. When we're in the world, when someone affirms us with words and they, they speak highly of us in the world, that means a lot to us in our flesh. And again, we just carry that over into the church into the body of Christ. And we start fishing. We start doing things because we prefer the applause of men over the glory of God. We prefer it that way. Some of us serve at the retreat and we move about. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We do things and we we serve the body because we'd much rather hear thanks and approval from men. We want someone to acknowledge us. We prefer that over glorifying the Lord. We've got to check our heart on that over and over again. A mature minister deflects that boasting. We are mere instruments of God's grace and conduits for the gospel and nothing more. That was their identity and it's ours too. So watch as Paul points the finger at us, okay? He's going to point the finger at you and me. Listen to what he says. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believed Even as the Lord gave to every man. Every single man. And so here's the next key point our identity is in a shared and common work. It's in a shared and common work. It's a work that we as believers all contribute to, it's common. Paul talks about the the body of Christ being unique members that are fitly joined together. And right, what right do, do any of us have to say that one member of the body, one part of the body, is any greater than any other member? What right do I, as the pastor, have to say that I have the preferred position? I don't. I don't. I have a position. And you have a position, too. And none of us get to to revel in that. None of us get to glory in that. It is a common work, and we are all contributors. We are all fitly joined to that work. We all have an equal part. We are equal in the sight of God. There may not be equity in our positions. There might be a structure of authority that God's given, but we are all equal in the sight of the Lord, and he wants to use us all equally. You understand? That's a critical thing. We We have to know Our identity is a shared and common work. Our personal salvation is God's invitation for every one of us to join in the ministry. He gave it to all of us. And as brothers and sisters, we share in that work. It's the accepted behavior of everyone who calls themselves Christians to minister and to serve. We've been liberated from our sin so that we can share a part in this work. I'm just, I'm just a saint and a child of God in a family of believers that spans millennia. I'm just one. I'm just one person, one minister, one saint in a family that has existed and endured for thousands of years. I am but one set of hands on a plowshare that is, has that is tilled hearts of man since the creation of the world. And it's a plowshare that all of us put our hands to. So the question is, who am I? Well, I am what I invest. So the question of who I am, I am exactly what I invest, what I minister. That's who I am. And that leads us to this next part about the labor of spiritual investment. There's a labor involved. There's a labor involved, and Paul talks about that, and he teaches us here. Now, speaking of Paul and Apollos' investment in Corinth, we're going to receive an analogy, and it's an analogy that Paul comes back to time and time again in his letters. And he compares, he often compares ministry to agriculture, to a field. So, I, I, you know, I doubt that we have a whole lot of farmers in here with us, looking around. There's some of you that maybe claim to be farmers. You dress like farmers. Yeah. Anyway, that's okay. I'm down with that. I wish I could be a farmer. I'm one of those guys that watches those, like, those the westerns and thinks, man, I dream of a, a, dream of a world, a, ma- a, masculine, a more masculine time <laughs> where I could work a field. Get by, have a log cabin. But that's not a reality. Most of us in this room aren't aren't farmers, and uh, that's okay. Uh, anyone anyone who ever grew a uh, a bean sprout in preschool <laughs> should understand this. Yep. Okay, this should make sense to you. If you learned a little bit about photosynthesis in fifth grade, okay, you should you should be able to get this concept. Okay. Paul speaks about three different yet important allocations of labor in the work of the field. And we get this. We'll understand this. We understand what what it takes for plants to grow. We know that it takes takes soil. It takes nutrients. It takes takes a seed. It takes water. It takes sunlight. And So this is going to make sense to us. And he's going to talk about the type of labor that God has called us to. Verse 6 says, I have planted and Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So let's start with this first investment. The investment of the planter. Paul says he was the planter. That was his role. Paul declares that he made an evangelism investment in the people of Corinth. And we see that clearly in the the accounts of Acts. We we see it right there in Acts 18. He shows up in Corinth. He's burdened by the city. And in verse 4 it says, And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks and when Silas and Timotheus were come, they met him. They, they were coming from Macedonia. They came and, came and met him there. Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So we, we know that Paul made this kind of investment in the city of Corinth. He was an evangelist. He went about and he taught the gospel. That's what we mean when we say evangelist. Paul preached the gospel and he evangelized. Just as one would distribute seed in a field and anticipate that that some of those seeds might take, Paul went about the city of Corinth spreading the seed of God's word in hope that some would receive it. That's what he did. And evangelism is that. It's the distribution of the gospel in anticipation that the gospel seed might take root and grow. The Christian New Testament presupposes evangelism as a way of life. It presupposes that. It's all over the entirety of the New Testament. God expects his believers to tell other people about him. That's what he expects for you. Praise the Lord. We, I believe we had four or five salvations at the retreat this weekend. Now, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But here's the deal. It can't, it can't end there. You were saved so that you could lead others to salvation. That's what you were saved to do. And so you've, you've not only been set free, but you've been recruited for a position. And that position is a planter. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? Listen, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those who call themselves Christians and go and share the truth of the gospel with their coworkers, with their friends, with their family, with the people that they meet, how beautiful are those feet. Now listen to me, Christian, that's you. That's what you're called to be. You're called to plant. We need to understand that in order to make a spiritual investment in mankind, in order for us to have an impact on this world, it's going to, it's going to take the members of this body, this church, It's going to take you going and spreading the seed of the gospel all over Kansas City. Man, remember how jacked up Corinth was? Remember how terrible a place? Remember, we, we, we investigated this, and we're going to come back to it later. But Corinth was a rough place to be a minister. Remember that? And that difficulty did not keep Paul from going around and preaching the gospel everywhere he went. And yet we look around at Kansas City and we say, man, it's big. Kansas City's big and it's wicked. There's a lot of wickedness here. There's a lot of sin. And I I know that if I open my mouth, I'm going to face rejection time and time again. I know it. But listen, this is what you were saved for. What farmer wakes up in the morning when the sun rises and makes excuse for not going out into the field? It's inappropriate. It's unacceptable. The world needs Christians who are willing to plant seed. So this is the first role described by Paul. Now the next role is this, the waterer. Paul says Apollos was the waterer. This was his role. This was his responsibility. This was his labor. And this means that Apollos had made a discipleship investment in the people of Corinth. Someone who waters tends to the daily needs of the growing plant, ensuring that it has nutrients, nutrients necessary to grow beyond the labor of the initial investment of the gospel. And I know for a fact that there's people in this room who you've been saved. You've been saved. You've been set free. The seed has been planted and it's started to take. But the question is are you growing? Are you growing? Are you receiving the investment of other people? Are you growing? And then for those of us, those of us who are growing in our faith, are you showing other people how to grow? Are you guiding them in the scriptures? Are you promoting growth in other people? Are you making an investment? Are you a discipler by nature? Discipleship is the investment of one mature believer into the life of a younger believer. Discipleship is critical for the growth and sanctification of Christians. Why? Why? Because we all need someone who we can follow as they pursue Christ. We all need that. That's your Bible study leaders. Right? That's your Bible study leaders. That's the people around you who've been at this a while. That's, that's those of you who know like, that there, there's encouragers. There's people who walk in the faith and they have a relationship with the Lord. Attach yourself to those people. Learn from them. And of course, we want to encourage you to sign up for what we call biblical discipleship, which is this, just the intentional investment of one person inv- investing doctrines of, of, of the Bible into the life of another believer for something like a year. And that's what we do here. That's, that's an investment we make, and it's an investment we want to make. But really, let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's back up a little bit. Are you willing at any level of your growth To invest down. Are you contributing to the culture of discipleship in this place? Are you promoting discipleship all the time? Are you edifying other people in God's word? So Apollos had a reputation of being this type of guy. He was a natural edifier. Apollos, we see in Acts chapter 18, verse 27, it says when he was in Achaia, right after he'd gotten saved... It says he helped others. He helped them much which had believed through grace. He was a helper. He wanted to make an investment in other people. He wanted to encourage them. You know, this last week, we, we, uh, some of the pastors and some of the, the, the folks in here went to the discipleship conference in Georgia. We have it every year the discipleship conference at Oakland Heights Baptist and some of you followed along with that. I don't know, maybe you paid attention to the teaching. Pastor Sam preached at that. And, and some of us had opportunities to teach in the morning sessions. But why do, we, why do we have a discipleship conference? Why do we devote so much time and energy to talking about discipleship? Why, why, are, we always, why are we always bringing that up? Because we don't, be, we don't want to be average Christians. That's why we don't want to be average. But listen to me. We do want to do what God asked us to do. We want to obey him. We want to make an investment. We want, we want to affect this world. This is, this is critical for us to understand that our work is going to require, in ministry, if we want to be ministers, it's going to require all of us, every single one of us, to both plant and to water, even now. Well, you have an excuse. Like, well, I'm new, I'm new to all this. I, I just got saved. This is brand new to me. Do you have a testimony of salvation? Do you have family members that you can speak with? Do you influence other people? What would keep you from making a planting and watering investment even now? This is who you've been set free to be. This is what ministry is. We always say around here, every member a minister. That's, we say that all the time. Every member a minister. Because the expectation in this church at 40th and Walnut is that every member of our body would also be about the work of ministry. And that means planting and watering, that's what that means. There's nothing else. There's, there's no other responsibility laid out here. There's no other thing. It's planting and watering in everything we do, whether it's serving in the body, whether it's setting up chairs, or whether it's working on the A V team or whatever it, whatever it is, whatever ministry we do, it needs to we need to be able to boil that down to either planting or watering. And if we can't do that, then it's not ministry. Right. It's something else. There's a lot of churches that, that aren't planting, and they're not watering, but they sure are doing a lot of marketing. Marketing isn't in this list. I don't know a farmer that's concerned about marketing. That's not who we're supposed to be. So here's the next key point. The, The work of planting and watering makes ministry. And every minister operates as both, a planter and a waterer. That's ministry. And every one of us needs to be both of those things. When you're on campus and you're walking around or when you're in your workplace and you're surrounded by lost people, you're a planter. When you gather with other believers, any context... You're a waterer. Does that make sense? That's a very easy way to think about it. When you're around the lost, you're a planter. When you're around other believers, you're a waterer. How are you doing that? No matter where you're at in the spiritual growth that we talked about last time we were together, no matter where you're at in that path, how are you planting and watering? Now, there's also a divine investment involved here. If Paul is the planter and Apollos is the waterer, then God is the photosynthesis. He makes things grow. He makes things happen. He is the unseen and invisible force. He is the life giver. That's who he is. Verse 7 says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, and neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Man, you know how small and insignificant our roles are in light of what God does all around us all the time and in the in-between? When we don't have control, when we don't know what to do. You know, he's always at work. He's making the difference and he's making life. Sam taught from this passage at the discipleship conference. John 15.5 says, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. The most qualified and faithful ministers have a genuine sense of their own insufficiency. The most faithful and qualified ministers that we have in this ministry are highly aware and highly attuned to their own insufficiency and are desirous that God receive all the glory that comes with their successes. You have success in ministry, you've seen people saved, you've made an investment, you've had the opportunity to disciple, you've seen some fruit. It's God's fruit, it's His harvest, it belongs to Him, the bounty belongs to Him. And we are insufficient. In light of his power, his grace, his mercy, his salvation. And we must remember our roles are nothing in contrast to God. He is our all in all, He is the giver of life. So, our next key point is this God causes growth, and prayer causes God. So, we ought to pray. God causes growth, and prayer causes God. See, the thing that we we can't forget is that God has also invited us to be his provocateurs, if you will. To call upon him and beg upon him and beseech him to do the thing that we can't do. Listen to me. There is no farmer that doesn't pray. There is no farmer that doesn't pray. Because the farmer knows that without the work of the weather, the thing that's outside of his control, the shining of the sun, the nutrients of the field, the water of rain, there will be no harvest. No farmer can make anything grow. He can plant, he can water, that's his part. And so because he can do no more, he learns to pray. Job 6.8 says, Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for. Do you long to be used? Do you long for fruit? Matthew 7.7 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. First John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. He heareth us. Now God's invitation for us to pray, it, it presupposes that we're going to pray his will. God's not in the business of answering prayers that have nothing to do with his kingdom. We are his children. He is our father. And so what we ask in accordance to his will is the thing that he will grant. He hears it. If you desire to be fruitful, then you should desire the discipline of prayer. If God wants any outcome for your life... It would be that you be fruitful for his kingdom. That's what he wants. If there's any outcome when he looks at you and he thinks about you and he sees you, the one thing he wants for you is to be fruitful. He's not withholding, he's not withholding anything. It's you that's withholding, it's you that's unwilling, and it's you that fails to pray. That's just the truth. He desires for us to be fruitful. And so, you know, I rarely make this pitch, but I'm going, to make, I'm going to take the opportunity here. If you don't go to the Tuesday... There's this, look, I know that there's a lot of you who are coming and you're dipping your toes into the water of MBT and you come to Kaya and you come with regularity, but I want to challenge you to something. If you don't come to worship service on Sunday morning, you should come. You should come. And if you don't go to Tuesday night prayer which is the engine, which is the power of this ministry, you should come. You should join us on Tuesday night to pray. Come beg the Lord with us. Come beg God. Come, come, come beg the life giver, the one that gives increase. Come with us. Join us in that work. Because it's as critical as anything else that we do. We talk a lot about evangelism and discipleship around here. And it's because it's the only thing that we know to do. It's who we are. We are evangelists and we are disciples. And we're called to make a singular investment as a team. Verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Okay, so let me back up here for a second. What that means is at one level, we are one people by our very nature. He that planteth and he that watereth are one. Why? We are one people. Because regardless of our unique qualities and our ministries and giftings, we are unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one people. Listen to Christ's prayer for the future disciples. You You know what's amazing is in this passage, in John chapter 17, he prays for you, you, for future believers it's amazing. I love this. John seventeen twenty. He's praying. He says, "Neither pray I thee. I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one." That's that's Christ's prayer for you. Is that we as a body would be one, as Thou Father art in me, and I in Thee that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and that the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may, may be one, even as we are one. We're one. No matter what your role in ministry is. No matter, no matter whether or not you're on the AV team or you serve coffee or you're on hospitality, and you do all, we do all these things, and, and we're, we, we all are at work, and, and we play our part. We are members, individual members. All of us, though, are one. No matter whether or not you're planting or you're watering, we're one. There are people in this room that I've led to Christ that someone else has discipled. There's, a, there's, a, there's people in this room that I made that initial investment. I invited them in. I, I called them in. And someone else has done the work of watering. And there are other people in this room that someone else led to the Lord. And I've had the privilege of investing in just this way. And all of us are doing that all the time. One plants another waters, and other waters. And as we do that work, we are, wrong, we are one. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And so in a very real sense, he that planteth and he that watereth are one because we're one by our very nature as the bride of Christ. But we also have one mission. We have one mission. We complement each other. We are also one because when a person plants a seed that grows and another person waters that seed and makes the investment, the work we did distinctly becomes one individual work, doesn't it? A mutual work unified under the banner of a single mission. And this brings us to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's evangelism. Go into the world and teach all nations. Who I am. Expose them to the gospel. Plant the seeds. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's discipleship. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We call this the Great Commission. And the Great Commission has two parts. Evangelism and discipleship. And they are one. One. They are one thing. It is one work, and all of us are contributing to that one work. So you don't get to say, well, I'm an evangelist by nature. I'm gifted that way, and so that's what I do, and I don't, get to, I, don't, I don't really take the time to make discipleship investments. I focus my attention on evangelism. You don't get to say that. And another person doesn't get to say, well, I focus my attention on discipleship. I don't need to go to hit the streets. I don't need to go minister. And I can just. I'm silent at my workplace because I focus my attention on discipleship. You don't get to do that. If you're going to obey the Great Commission, you are an evangelist and you are a discipler. That's who you are. Because both of those things are unified right here in the Great Commission. And so the question for you is this. Are you contributing to this dynamic? Are you actually making an investment? And you know, this is what Bible studies in our ministry are for. To provide you with a team to make this kind of investment. We get to do this as a team. And so we have these little hubs of people all over our city that are meeting weekly, that are gathering together, they're praying for lost souls, they're inviting lost people to join them, they're going out on the campuses and the workplaces, and they're sharing the gospel, and they're sharing the fruit. And one person leads a person to Christ over here, and they invite them in, and another person disciples, and we're working as a team. We're functioning together. And we've got these little, these little groups of people that are going into our city so that they can manifest the Great Commission true in, in, in the life of Caiah. Are you contributing to that? If you call yourself a Christian, it's not good enough for you to just come here on Sundays. It's not not good enough. It's not good enough to to have your Christian disciplines. It's not good enough. You have to make an investment. Each of us need to recognize our roles. Sometimes we plant and sometimes we water. And that's what ministry is, planting and watering, and we're obligated to do both. Now let's continue on in the passage. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Okay, wait a second. We were just talking about teamwork and being one. Paul takes a moment here to stop and to remind us that every one of us is going to receive our own reward based on whether or not we contributed. So God's saying, yeah, we're one and we're doing this investment and we're living the Great Commission and we're, we're, we're working together in this way, but hold on, let's pause for a second. When you stand before me at the judgment seat, you are going to answer for whether or not you contributed. Are you a contributor? Listen to me. Those that work hardest... In the ministry, they fare the best. They have the best results. The more you pour out of your life, the more you stand to gain. The more you sacrifice, the more you risk, the greater your chance for fruit. So those that are, that are the most faithful will certainly have the greatest reward. It's just true. And every believer will, will either receive a reward or receive disappointment for their contribution to the work. We're going to talk more about that next week. But, but the point is here that our identity is sourced in our work. The work of an evangelist and the work of a waterer a discipler, and our personal reward is contingent on our willingness to minister every day and everywhere in just this way. Our our eternity in, in heaven, our reward in heaven is rooted in whether or not we're willing to do this. Let's look at verse nine. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. You know that word husband? We talked a lot about husbands over the weekend, didn't we? We talked a lot about what a husband is, but you know the word husband, husbandry, it has everything to do with farming, right? A husbandman is a person who works a field, they are a farmer. And ye are God's husbandry. You're his farmers, and ye are God's building. So the question for us is this are you laboring? And are you laboring together? What's your part in your Bible study? What's your role? How do you contribute? How serious do you take that? It's a legit question. All of us need to answer that. Are you contributing to the dynamic of spiritual investment in this body? Does this church, listen, does this church and this ministry feel and experience that you are playing your part in the work? can can we feel that because we should because we've we've been knit together and your lack and your unwillingness is our lack and our unwillingness so here's the deal we're going to we're going to close i want the worship team to come up it's been a long week we're all tired Okay? We're tired. I can tell. I can feel it. If I can if I can feel anything, I can feel the fact that you're tired. But listen to me. I want to Here's my invitation. I look around the room and I'm beginning to see faces that I know that I didn't know a few weeks ago. I see people that are showing up more regularly. And you, maybe you're beginning to think, well, this, is, this I think this is my church. I think this is my church. I think this is where I'm going to get rooted. And this is where I want to grow. Okay, so you've made that decision. And we're grateful for that. We're really grateful. And I don't want to push you. I don't want to push you to do things or be something that you're not ready to be or do. But I do want to ask you, we know know what salvation is, we know how it benefits us. But we ought to ask ourselves what did God save us for? I mean, He saved us unto something. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a Christian, you've been recruited. You've been recruited to farm. And I want to challenge you that at some level you can make a spiritual investment even now. That you can begin pointing other people to Christ, other friends, other people that you know. That you can can begin to encourage and edify other believers. Put your hand to the plow. Put yourself to the common work. This is what Christians do. This is who we are. So lean in. Join us. Be a part. Contribute. And if you know, if you know that you're ready to do that, maybe you need to sign up for discipleship. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to join a Bible study. Maybe you're not a part of a Bible study yet. You come on Sundays, but you're not yet integrated. Whatever it is that you need, I want you to come and I want you to grab someone and say, hey, I'm ready for the next step. I want to grow and I want to invest. I want to make an investment. I want to see God use me. I want to be fruitful. I want to devote myself to the work. If you know that's you, if you know there's a a next step towards investing, come forward and grab a counselor and they'll help you. Cool? Cool. I love you guys. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord that he he wouldn't, does, does God want to stop moving in us? I mean, are we so tired? We're we so tired for the week. Well, I've already repented of something this week. I've already confessed something. I'm tired. I already pulled a counselor aside, and I spent time with him. And should I do it again? Now, listen, when the people stand up here ready to receive people, they're ready to say, I'm ready to labor. That's what they're doing. I'm ready to labor. That's what they're saying. And we're not, the work's not done until it's done. And if God's moving in you, don't stop making decisions. If you know that there's another step to take, take that step, come forward, grab someone, and make a change. Do something. Don't sit there. Quit being nominal. Quit being comfortable. Quit being complacent. Get uncomfortable. Own a work. Plow a field. Let's do it. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that your word would have its perfect work and that if there are people today that know um, I, need, I need investment in, I need someone to pour into me, I need discipleship, that they would do that. If someone recognizes that they haven't done a good job pouring into other people and being a waterer, Lord, that they would come forward and repent and, and acknowledge that, that they have a responsibility to be edifiers and encouragers in the faith. Lord, if there's someone today that doesn't know you as their Savior and they need to be planted in, they need the seed of God's word to come to them for the first time in their life. If they need salvation, if they need to be set free from their sin, Lord, I pray that they would come forward and that they wouldn't be afraid, they wouldn't be ashamed, and they'd say, I need salvation. I thought I was a Christian, maybe even. I thought I was a Christian. I've been religious before. I thought I was a follower of Christ, and now I realize I'm not. I have none of the compulsions of a believer. I have none of the convictions of a believer. I need Christ for the first time. I need him to set me free from my sin. Lord, would you draw that person forward so that they can meet with someone and accept you and receive that seed for the very first time? But Lord, if there are those in this room who who know that they're supposed to be planting the seed of your word everywhere they go and they've refused to do that, that Lord, they would repent. And that they would come forward and that they would meet with someone and they would pray and they'd confess the fact that they have been a poor evangelist. Knowing that it's expected of them, that they haven't done it the way that they should. Lord, speak, speak to people and move hearts. Because we can't do this work without you. Lord, do the, do the invisible and unseen thing right now. We're inviting you to meet us where we're at and work out your perfect will in us that we might be useful for your kingdom and that our short life would amount to something. So help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times, and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.